0: listening to the flying goat farm podcast with your host lisa check this podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt we will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats making yarn and expressing your colorful self hi again everyone and thank you for joining us at the flying goat farm podcast Here's what's happening on the farm. So I'm recording this on Christmas Eve, December 24th, and um, it's been rather a cold and windy week, but it's obviously not going to be a white Christmas for us. Um, We have yet to have any any even flurries around here. I know some of my friends who live just um, maybe 10 miles away They have had flurries, but nothing's sticking. We haven't even had a flurry yet. And definitely nothing is sticking yet. Um, Today, while it was cold in the morning, starting out in the 20s, um, it's now um, in the 60s and really quite warm. Um, But that's okay for everybody that, you know, all, all of the farm animals that are out there, they are enjoying not having it be so terribly cold. And um, our chickens are doing really, really well. Um, We're getting about two dozen eggs a day at this point, which is fantastic in the wintertime. It takes about 23 hours for a chicken to lay an egg. And so what we have done in the wintertime specifically is that we have solar lights that um, burn throughout the night. And so that gives that kind of tricks the chicken's body into thinking that it's actually a summer day instead of a short winter day um, so that we still can keep up our production during the winter time. So if you have chicken farmers in your neighborhood or in your area, you know, think about buying nice, healthy farm raised, pasture raised chicken eggs for your um for your family. They're healthy, um, they are um beautiful, and you're supporting um, a local farmer um, and not not, you know, how can I say this in a nice way? So you're not buying from the industrial farming complex. You're you are knowing who your farmer is. You're knowing what their practices are. You're knowing that those chickens are raised in a humane way, given the feed that they need um, and um, making really healthy eggs. So know your farmer, whether that's your fiber farmer, your egg farmer, your vegetable farmer. um, We're all around you. You just have to look. That's my soapbox for that part of here's what's happening on the farm. So just as a quick review, this is the third part of a mini series inside of our um, season of creativity. So for the past two podcasts, we have, I've been talking to some of my friends about raising creative kids. So in the first installment, um, I talked to Dallas Davidson about raising her boys and the creative exercise was create in a series. We talked about how one of her sons has done several projects that um, are internet-based net and that are bringing in community and working within series um, to create wonderful art. And in the second installment, I talked to Annie Marshall, who's Veggie Annie, and talked. we talked about... Um, the developmental stages of creativity and creative play. And we talked about all the different ways that you can promote creativity within your household. And in that creativity exercise, we did a jar of dot, dot, dot. So in that creativity exercise, we were talking about putting out a jar of crayons, a jar of markers, a jar of um, paper. Um, having having the supplies out and readily available for spontaneous creativity with, your, with yourself, your whole family, and your children. So today is the third installment, and I'll be talking to my friend Kirsten zerbrig And I'm, I've known her for quite some time, but we've just recently done more natural dyeing together. And um, so I'm learning a lot more about her. Um, I just love the wonderful ap- opportunities that she gives her children and her homeschooling community um, with all kinds of creativity. So I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation.
1: So hi, Kirsten, how are you? We're doing well. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs>
0: yes. So I was, th- we, we, um, we met, I think, like 15 years ago, right? Were we talking about that? Because we met here when we were already here. So it was 14 to 15 years ago. And you came over to learn how to spin. You and your daughter.
1: That's right. Yeah, you were offering a spinning class. And I think I had just finally chosen my first wheel. Um, It took me three years to choose that wheel. (laughs) And um, I was just getting my feet. Um, Yeah. Just, just really getting my groove and, and spinning. So it was fun, and I think I think I might have actually um, even purchased a fleece though before we actually met. Um, oh, yeah, and that That's is great. And that that is because your um, the name Flying Goat Farm uh, really captivated my uh, imagination. I I could not resist Flying Goat.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fun one. People really are attracted to it. It's a a funny story, so people love that. But we're here today to talk about um, raising creative kids, and I know that your children are highly creative, and you've also had experience um, working in schools in Waldorf School, correct?
1: Yeah, I have um, Waldorf teacher training in handwork, and I've actually worked mostly with the homeschool community and And different um, local community organizations.
0: So what did you, what have you noticed? I think we can all, we can both agree that, um, and I think everybody that I'm going to be talking to today has agreed that that children are innately um, creative. They're curious, they're, um, they're exploring their world. Um, They do, but it does need to be fostered.
1: Correct? Yeah, I I, I do, I think, um, certainly, I mean, I think it's always best to speak from experience. So for, for my own children, um, uh, even going further uh, back, I mean, I think uh, that idea of fostering creativity, um, I can't even take credit for it. It was my parents that that really set the road for me. Um, and I recognized from the very beginning that um, the most You know, wonderful part about having children was that partnership that you had in in their world of uh, creative play from the very start. Um, And so, for me, it wasn't about um, helping them to be creative individuals. It was about creating the space for their creativity. And that (laughs) sounds a little redundant, but it's really about um, making sure that creative play isn't disrupted. In in a way, and that it um, and that there are you have you provide the architecture that allows for open ended play um, in the very beginning of your child's life. So I think my role often felt like just protecting the space and allowing the space um, for creative play. And how did you do that? (laughs) Um, I think one of the biggest things.
0: <laughs> about setting time aside or um having yeah. certain activities that would then um like roll into more creative play.
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is um was and for my parents as well is making our house um I, I wanna say almost like child centric, but it's not that it's um you know, equal opportunities for everybody, (laughs) um, in every space of the house. Um, so, you know, in a way it means making sure that the living room is a place that a child, a small person, a child, um, can inhabit without anyone having to say no, um, which is a disruptor to, to play. Um, and so integrating, um, natural play spaces in every aspect of your house seems like the just the basic you know Um, and I could go on about that but I I think like the kitchen especially is one of those spaces where you know you always want to make sure that um, there are appropriate stools that a child can stand on to be involved and that things are out of the way that need to be out of the way and everything else you know even having um, a low shelf with pots and pans that are accessible for, you know, mud pies and whatnot in the kitchen, you know, so there can be um, just, yeah. And so there's that. And then there's having a place based, we, we sort of gave up a dining room early on um, and put our kitchen table, uh, put our dining room table in our kitchen and developed a, a playroom. And I grew up with that as well. And the playroom, it was important that it wasn't in a basement or tucked away in a space upstairs but it was actually part of the flow of the house so that if you're cooking you can see your child or you know they can be in the in the, in their in the playroom still working on what they're working on and you don't have to say sorry you have to move you know or right. it.
0: or you have to wait until I have time
1: to go downstairs with you or to the other room right and I mean, I think. And with that comes this whole notion of um, how to foster or how to um, how to allow for independent play. You know, what does that mean? So that it's not like there's a designated now. Now we can play, or now is your time to play. But playing is happening all the time, Right. because the basis for. Um, creativity and artistic um, expression and all of that comes through play I mean that that's sort of the beginning of it all um, and so yeah so it's important to to um, and 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 so the, the the way in which you foster it you know I think there's so many people that influenced my um, way of thinking about um, yeah fostering that independence um, but I think one of the biggest things for me was, um not being con- not 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 sort of um getting involved in and congratulating a child when they did something you know um not saying oh good job all the time things like that because um it it, it interrupts um our natural sense of what is good <laughs> you know and right. and then we start looking for other people to you know give us the the um yeah
0: give us that feedback instead of Feeling it exactly. from in, from inside, and I think exactly. what you are saying about creative play as well. I think um, that I think a lot of adults have forgotten that a lot of our creativity again comes from playing around, playing with um, materials, and you know, letting yourself giving yourself the time without those interrupters, right? To be able to. Um, to just sit and make something and just be in, be in the flow of that.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, with that also comes like this sort of um, developing this um, warm space, you know, where there's this feeling of um, trust and all, all of the things that we need to feel safe. Um, and that's actually important, too, because, um, part of the creative process and the artistic process is actually making mistakes and then problem solving. Um, and if you get into this pattern of sort of interrupting a child and saying, oh, I can help do that or I can fix this or, you know, that's another factor that can sort of break the, the, the real, the natural um, um, train that we have, you know, with, with problem solving as part of our creative process and and ultimately the creative process you know then it feeds into everything that we do as as we mature into being larger people <laughs> you know it's right. it's part of our, it's it's the basis for creative independent thinking so yeah it's it's really at the root of everything i think uh,
0: well you know. and i think that when you say oh i can help you with that um it also takes away some of the self confidence right like yes. oh i you know, this, I didn't do it right. Or that, you know, that kind of thing. So you start losing that kind of um, the joy of
1: yeah. creating, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. Yeah. It's a delicate balance, <laughs> you know, because ultimately you do, I mean, I think you do become a partner, um, you know, to, to that creative process with your children um, because you, you, you sort of you also want to make sure that you know it's not you know that things are always changing and that there's accessibility um, to different different things you know so that they can grow and build as they mature you know and that accessibility is not just books and um, painting supplies and access to being outside but access to people that that are also that have creative you know, that have passions and that have inspirations um, so that, you know, children see it modeled in, in, in a way as well. And, and, you know, also see uh, new directions, you know, and it feeds them. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And it's about um, just, just increasing experiences, right. Um, Until you can see what other people are doing or, who other people are? It's really, you know, your your world is so limited, right? But as you have more experiences, um, then you can open up a little bit and and see, oh, that person, you know, it, knows how to weave, so I maybe I could learn how to weave. That right. kind of thinking, right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And then your child starts asking for things and that that's also a wonderful thing, you know, instead of you sort of assuming and saying it's time for us to learn how to weave, you know, your child will, you know, if if there's, you know, the right situation and they see something inspiring, they'll then ask for, you know, how and you can give them what you can and then you can find the teachers that that can lead them to. Right. Um yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so. Wait, so did you notice anything in particular when your children were young that um like um jumped out at you as far as like this this is gonna be an area where um they're gonna be um more interested in creating maybe
1: yeah I think we 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 kind of come into the world with I guess what you might say talents or proclivities to certain things you know. Um, but I don't know if those are necessarily the things that we end up, you know, going into sometimes, you know, I mean, certainly I noticed, um, I have three children and I certainly noticed, you know, uh, a direction towards music, um, early on, um, in one of my children, but they're all musical people and they all use music, um, and they're, I mean, they all continue to make beautiful music in different ways. So um, but I think sometimes, you know, people are born with sort of like, oh, you know, perfect pitch or, you know, can just sit down at a piano and imitate a song immediately. Right. Um, but then More others. Problems. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of, you know, it's wonderful to be born with a facility. But I do I do believe that you can develop the facility to do. What you want to do. Um, and so um, sometimes that gift can um, just sort of um, go by the wayside almost just because you don't end up pushing yourself. And sometimes when you really um, are struggling to get something, um, you develop more of a strength in your will. Um, and that thing, that will, will really help you push through to, to, you know, maintain your discipline with, with one particular stream.
0: <laughs> and also um, that's that goes back into the idea of problem solving, right? Mm. Like, you know, if, you're, if you run up against something and you have to push through because you really want to do that, then that's also helping you with, being a creative problem solver,
1: yeah. But I, but I do, I do know what you're asking, though. Um, and I do think um, that, you know, looking at my children, I mean, there's sort of, you know, one of my my eldest child really loved to be outside all the time and to be up in trees and to sort of movement was super, super important. And um, and she really, um, you know, she went down a road deep into the the beautiful path of dance um, for all of her teen years and kept doing it through college. Um, And it's integrated. It's part of her life. Um, And, you know, the same, I would say, for my son, who um, really was born with that that sort of um, perfect pitch, you know, and then lost it through some... um, some, you know, health issues, oh. uh, and then, uh, had to develop, or I would say, I mean, no one told him he had to, but he developed his own way around, um, music making without actually having that perfect pitch. And he developed his sense of pitch through hard work and oh, he's wow. a committed musician today. Um, so yeah, I, I see, I see that, our children are born, you know, but it's almost like when you're uh, a young mom, and and you know your children are showing these these um, facilities and these um, interests and passions. It's it's hard to know how they're going to, of course, how they're going to take shape in in later years. You just, um, I think we just celebrate it when it's there, yeah. right? <laughs>
0: yeah. And um, are there any like? activities that you would suggest for young moms or dads that, um, you know, to help foster that creativity? Anything that's a specific exercise or activity that someone? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I think it's
1: that exposure, like going to concerts, going to theater performances, going to the museum on a regular basis, uh, going to the zoo and, and watching, observing, Um, you know, I think the biggest, I guess if you want to say exercise is developing the space for observation through like a kind of consistency. So developing relationships that aren't just, you know, a one-off, but actually, you know, are kind of, you're, you're on a long road with it. Um, and those kinds of things, they just, they really inform us and they really, you know, they're, they're like our, our schooling. Um, and we don't even think of it as schooling cause we're enjoying it, but they, but they feed us and yeah, we return to them. So uh, yeah, that, that, and I mean, I certainly could say things that have had an impact on my life or our lives, um, we we really embraced the Suzuki method for um, uh, music, um, for strings, uh, violin and cello in our house. And I grew up playing violin, but not through the Suzuki method. Um, and I, I just have to say, I just found that um, the way of entering music as sort of a much more playful um, and joyous experience, I mean, with the right teacher, you know, it just, um, it really made music... Uh, an integrated part of our life in a, in a different way. So it wasn't just a music lesson; it was a full family engagement. Um, so so I'm I think the, familiar with Suzuki. So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, it's it's actually learning by ear, learning by invitation, which you know is really how children learn. If you think about it, right? It's how we right. learn as individuals. We we try things out, we see it, we try things out, we, we do things, and then we learn things. Um, it's, and it's not, um, and so it's developing, Suzuki helps a child to develop um, a relationship between what they hear and how they use an instrument. Um, and so it's more like using your voice in a way so you become so comfortable with your instrument that you're hardly aware that it's not a part of your body you yeah know? Okay. and then you become so comfortable with the idea of translating something that you hear into the pattern in your instrument that it it's a, it becomes a very natural process so you actually learn to read music much later in that in that particular um, philosophy and and there's a reason for it because um it's like you're you're developing yeah this this natural relationship to music making and the whole family is involved as a parent you go to lessons and you go to group classes and group classes tend to be very playful where the kids are coming you know so it's a little celebratory where they come well, together that sounds, and play it
0: sounds like a lot more fun than, than you know we, when I was growing up you know set the timer on the oven. For your practice, you know, half an hour of practice every day.
1: Yeah, well there there is practice though too. And right. I have to say, but we find ways to make it playful and and hopefully right. not um not that we're, you know, being coercive or tricking our, ch- you know, children, but we're actually um we feel a mutual agreement that this is worth our time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that it's an integral part of your life. Yeah. And and, and I think,
1: think should be right? Yeah, and I think that's that's another thing, just to have that mindset that, um, you know, um, artists, all artistic practices have as much value as anything in your life, because ultimately, you know, we are creative beings and we always want to have something artistic. I mean, that's what keeps us going in life, whether it's artistically thinking and problem solving, you know, but, or whether it's weaving a tapestry. Um, And so if we sort of relegate artistic endeavors to the sort of after school hours, or like maybe on the weekend, or, you know, we're sort of saying that's less important, but if we, if we have a different way, if we shift our thinking so that we can embrace it in a different way, I think, um, you know, everybody's happier in the end.
0: <laughs> I think you're totally right. I think that that's yeah. um, one of the things that I've been talking about on the podcast is how do you art, like using art as a verb, you know, as yes. there are, you know, and people don't think about it. You have to think a little creatively that, you know, there is an art to accounting. For instance, exactly. right? Exactly.
1: Yes.
0: They call it medical arts, right? The culinary yes. arts. You know, there's so many different ways that we can art in our lives, right? Is and living that way is a lot more, you know, open and joyful, I think.
1: Yes. Yeah. Giving and value. Go, oh, to I'm those... an accountant
0: and I have to go to work today.
1: That's right. That's right. No, I, I, I completely agree. It's like, you know, putting artist, you know, art into this box that goes on the shelf, you know, whereas actually we're all artistic beings. That's, that's really ultimately why we're here. We all want to do things, you know, and um, yeah, it's hard for people to maybe see accounting as something beautiful, but actually working with numbers is very beautiful and artistic. You have to have, you have to actually see things spatially and you have to have a certain um, way of working to to be able to do that, you know. And there's beauty to it. So
0: yeah, right. My, my husband's an engineer, and um, you know, so he's mostly working in zeros and ones, right? But then if you go and look at his computers, it's all different colors, it's all different shapes of things on these graphs, and it's like, whoa! I don't even know what you're doing, but it is really artistic.
1: That's beautiful. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> yeah. Something.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. I think um, I gained a lot of insight, and I know that um, my listeners will too. Oh,
1: it's my pleasure. It's so much fun to talk with you. Thank you.
0: So hi Kirsten. So yeah, that was a fun conversation, wasn't it? Um sorry for that little blip at the end, but you know, things happen every once in a while. So here's your new creative exercise for the next couple of weeks, and this one is fun. And it's it's make a huge mess. So you know, thinking back into your childhood, um, that your best days or your, the best days of your kids are when they have gotten really messy. When there's sand in your bathing suit and ice cream on your face, you know, some those days are some of the most meaningful, um, joyful wonderful days of your life. When we seek perfection, perfection is the killer of creativity. You know, when we want things to be perfect, then we have limited our possibilities. When we think that, you know, the only um, great way to live is what we see on those Instagram perfect pictures, um, then you limit yourself. You're not having the ice cream on the beach. You're you're um, not Um, having those wonderful memories. So, and, you know, don't remember to tell that committee to take the day off and get lost too, because perfection is the killer of creativity. So this week make some messes and it could be a physical mess, or it could just be like sing in your car with the music all the way up on high and the windows down. If, as long as it's not snowing or raining, right. Um, Dance like no one is watching. Pull out some creative supplies and just make something. You don't have to show it to anyone. It's yours and it's part of your flow and it's part of your being. And, um, and like all of these conversations that I've had with my friends have shown, the making is the most important part. So I do hope that you'll make some huge messes in the next couple of weeks. Um, just to let you know, you can always follow Kirsten's Instagram. She's at Indigo Lady. Um, she does great um, natural dyeing. And if you're interested in that, um, please be sure and follow her. And remember to uh, let me know how it's going. Tag me on a social media post at Flying Goat Farm or um, send me a comment or send me an email Or, you know, there's a new feature on anchor.fm that you can leave me a voicemail even. I'd love to hear how it's going for you. And so until next time, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd.com. At flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making!